0: The frontman of legendary hip-hop group Fu Schnickens. He's a sick MC, whether in a group or solo. He's helped shape the soundtrack of my life as a 13-year-old kid in Washington Heights. He's Ship food, a.k.a. Jungle Rock Jr., and I want to welcome him to the library with Tim Monica. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. So like always, I like to uh, start from the beginning. Uh, okay. um, when you were growing
1: up, what was kind of the soundtrack being played in your household? Uh, the soundtrack in my household was kind of crazy because I'm um, um, West Indian. Um, so I heard soca, reggae, and hip hop mixed. And it, it was just that with some other, uh, a cornucopia of other sounds also, but that was just like the backdrop in my house. Saturday mornings, you wake up, you're hearing reggae music. You understand what I'm saying? And after the reggae music died out, then it was soca, and then my brother would just come and just be reckless with the hip hop music for the rest of the night. You know,
0: what was it about? I, you know, I've, you're you listen to your discography and you're able to mm-hmm. rhyme straight. You're able to, you know, sound reggae. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it about? Why not go on the reggae path versus like why'd you go
1: on uh, the hip hop path? This is something I never told anybody. Um, when I first started out, I wasn't emceeing at all. Um, <clears throat> I was strictly doing reggae and then I was, I went into a friend of mine's basement. His name was, um, Wallstein Chapman and I picked up Shinehead's album. I think it was, um, some concrete university or some sidewalk, sidewalk university. And I played the album when I played the album, he was doing both. So I said to myself, I I wanted to do both and master both. I don't want to be an MC that walks on stage and just can't do anything else. You know, I, I just feel that if someone throws on hip hop beats and you're just stuck doing that, then that's just that. I just wanted to to do more. So I, I you know, I got more into hip hop and yeah, it just shaped my sound being able to do both. You know what I mean? It just borrowing from each other because, you know, hip hop and reggae more so are, are like cousins in a sense. So it, it was fun for me
0: why I guess why why
1: why why music being your path no, music being my path, I don't play sports, bro, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, <laughs> I don't play sports, man, um, I wasn't that kid that was really into like the sports and all the other things, and I think I gravitated to music because that's all I heard in my house, so I was able to play the tenor steel pan growing up as a kid so it shaped my ear real weird so when I heard music, I'm hearing that within music So, mm. um, and plus I was sickly when I was young born without any floating ribs amblycle hernia heart murmur, you know what I'm saying and I had leg braces so I wasn't thinking of sports so the only thing I could do was just sit and I was just listening to this, uh, this black radio that my father had brought me at the time So I just started mimicking everything that I was hearing and I got incredible at it and just started writing from there. So I was one of those weird kids that like at 11 years old, I was kind of (laughs) dangerous. Then, you know, people were just like, yeah, he's he's a little bit, you know, too much, you know, lyrically. But at around 11 is when I knew I want to say around 11 is when my brother knew because he used to bring a lot of ska music from England. And I started mimicking the ska patterns and cadences and from then he knew that, you know, I had something special going on. So when do you
0: start <clears throat> your writing? When do you start I guess sharing
1: publicly? Writing. Um I was writing from when I was nine. I was writing from when I was nine. I was mimicking my brother, because he was an MC. And at that point in time is when I I, I knew that i had something you know what i mean so the writing began began at nine and i, I haven't stopped since you know what i mean so yeah let's <laughs> answer that question you say you're it, it's interesting
0: you, you you're you say you're mimicking your brother you're mm-hmm. um you're obviously from a different school where and it's not throwing shade at today's mc but mm-hmm. uh or beat maker so to say but right everyone sounds the same. And mm-hmm. it's not to be like, cause I'm 39 old dude. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's legit. Um, right. You come from a school that, you know, you have to be different. Yeah. Um, I feel like as I'm the younger, youngest of mm-hmm. three total boys, uh, it's easy to just like mimic your older brother and mm-hmm. not feel like, not feel like you could change what they're doing. Right. How did you know
1: that you had to be different in this music, I think when we came out, before we came out, you had De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest, and there was this new energy in hip hop where everybody felt like they had to stand alone by themselves, but still be amongst people, and everybody had their own sound, you know. So I said, if I was going to, you know, <clears throat> do music or get into the music industry, I wanted to make sure that I had my my own sound, and I didn't want to sound like anybody else. So that's why, when it came to different cadences and different flows and styles that I was introducing, you know, rhyming backwards and forwards and doing all this other things and tripling up on lyrics and stuff like that, no one was doing that at the time. So I figured that, you know, with the name itself, Fushnikins, and the styles that I had mastered, I, f- I figured that we would stand out, you know, which we, you know, we did kind of. And, and, and you know, <laughs> Things worked, you know what I mean. So it, for me, that was a a big thing, and then also representing, you know, the West Indian culture, like doing the record "Ring the Alarm," where people were able to say, "Well, um, that's like the first hip hop group to do a dance hall record," right. you know what I mean, and to have it played on dancehall radio, it was unheard of, and to go <clears throat> and and to go gold in Canada wasn't easy for. American artist because that was frowned upon at the time, but we went gold in a matter of three weeks there because of the large West Indian base there. So they were just like, well, this is the first time we have somebody that's West Indian that could do both and he's playing on, you know, reggae radio and hip-hop radio. So, yeah, I got to embrace that. that was-
0: is it? I was going to ask you this later, but mm-hmm. in, speaking of ring the, ring the, ring the alarm, uh, is there stuff about From an artistic point of view, Mm -hmm. is there stuff that um, reggae, West Indian Mm -hmm. uh, music allows you to do or doesn't allow you to do that that hip-hop does or doesn't allow you to do? That's a good
1: question. That is a very good question, and I can answer it like this. The one thing about reggae music or, um, yeah, let's keep it like that. The one thing about reggae music that you can do and not get frowned upon is you can talk about God in reggae music and nobody frown upon it. Oh, interesting. Think about that. You There's, there's when you uh, go to a reggae party, there's certain parts of reggae that they play in the party. As soon as you go inside there, there's the early juggling music, which might be the early records from the 80s or the 70s or whatever. And then there's a conscious period before they get into the dance hall dance hall. And that conscious period is where you'd hear your Capletons, your Sizzlers, and all those other people that can actually speak about society, God, or whatever, and it, you won't get frowned upon. Mm-hmm. At all. But in hip-hop, you know, the only person that was able to do something like that and get away with it was Kanye. And it, I'm not saying that it's a... it's it's. Well, I am saying that. It is, it is kind of bad that you just can't actually be yourself. You understand what I'm saying? You had to... They have to basically generalize it to a kind of hip hop, like this is 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 um, conscious or gospel hip hop. Right. But in reggae music, you can get on stage with a conscious artist, uh, a dancehall artist, a uh, lovers rock artist, all in the same festival, and throw on one beat, and they could all say what they want to say, and the crowd just love them. So the so is the. Is it frowned upon in hip hop by labels, or is it more? I mean, or is it, or is it more because it's it's categorized? It's it's categorized for one, and I think it's it's it's. I think when there's borders and things are categorized, that it gets kind of corny, mm. because you're saying that is that and that has to do that, right? Why can't you throw on impeach the president and have a gospel artist just jump on there um and rhyme with the likes of several other artists i, I get that people aren't ready to to see or hear something like that actually, but I think that that's the only problem with uh the difference between hip hop and reggae how those things could actually happen and it won't be categorized at all you uh you said something interesting
0: recently uh, i think very powerful pa- people, people. What very powerful on, uh, on instagram you posted mm-hmm. about and and you know people say this and they kind of feel like they say it because they they throw it away mm-hmm. but you generally you wrote this post about how music really saved your life mm-hmm. um can you talk about that post and what paths did you see yourself going down if it wasn't for music? you mean
1: the recent post yes okay the recent post was like what yesterday
0: mm-hmm. um <clears throat> I have two kids. It's very delusional. What, what, what day of the week it is for me, yes. but yes. <laughs>
1: it's a post that I put up, yes. Um, for me, I didn't think that I had a voice, right? Because first and foremost, I was the kid that didn't play any sports. Um, when I came outside to play with certain people or, or whatever as a kid, it was only a few people that basically understood, well, he can't play football, he can't do this, he can't do that. Well, all right, we're just going to sit on the steps and we're just going to, you know, we're just going to tell your mama jokes or whatever, just right. enjoy ourselves. But um, as I got older and, and I was in, um, when I went to high school, I couldn't join certain teams or anything. So the only thing that I was able to do was, was join the music class. And after school is when things just went crazy because, you know, now you're, you're you're running with a different crowd and i just started doing everything crazy mimicking my brother you know what i mean because at at that point in time that's my superhero right Right. yeah of know? course yeah. after after your brothers then your father my brother's my superhero because he's coming home with all these stories man and <laughs> i'm like yo i want to do the same thing so i just started wilding out being in different places where i should not have been and doing things sorry ma that I've, she probably today would bust out in tears if she knew I did that. But I was doing it because um, I felt there was a need to do it at the time. I didn't want my parents to actually um, come out of their pockets anymore to do any more for me, you know, at a young age. That was 13 when I started Wildin' Out. But when I was doing everything that I was doing, I always heard music. And it was the weirdest thing. I would be in certain places, and I'd hear... I'd be sitting there waiting for certain things to happen or certain things to come to, to be moved. And I'm hearing music and I'm just writing on anything I could find, wow. yeah. you know, brown paper bag. I'm writing on the back of, um, the, the, the uh, you know, and you buy something from McDonald's and you get your burger and it's in the wrap, oh, yeah. I'm writing on that. I'm writing on that. So in a sense, <clears throat> music did save my life because there were certain situations and things people asked me to do that I just couldn't do because of what I started feeling about myself. I was like, yo, I think I could really do this thing, you know what I mean? And they're like, nah, dude, you know, you're making enough money doing what you're doing. I'm like, nah, well, my parents didn't come to this country, you know, to to to, to raise failures in a sense, you Damn. know what I mean? So I figured that, you know, I would try my hand at it. It it changed my life in a sense because... um. I started looking at school different because of the writing. I needed more information, so the only way you could get information to write is to go to class. I started going to class. I started writing. I started writing poetry in school. I wasn't. Um, I got confidence. I started performing in schools. Uh-huh. I started doing both reggae and both hip hop in schools and winning all these battles and competitions. And that's how it actually saved my life. You know what I mean? And but the path that I was on was not a good path. It was not a good path. And, and to the point where my brother tried to step in and help me or check me, you know, as an older brother. He was like, nah, you you worse than me. And I'm like, yeah, but that's what you're thinking at the yeah. time. You got to be better than your brother. But it, it shouldn't have been that, you know what I mean? So to this day, he and I are grateful that I'm grateful that he used to bring home all those scar tapes. And those are the tapes that I used to take with me when I used to go and do foolishness. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Just have it in my... A, a Walkman, you know, for those that know what a Walkman. <laughs> just be playing my Sony Walkman and just listening to all these ska rhythms. And while everything around me is happening, I'm just, just writing to what I'm hearing. So it really, it shaped my life. Um, I looked at my parents different after that because it when you're starting to listen to conscious music, then you're understanding a parent's position and i started feeling bad because of certain things they were telling me and i wasn't paying attention Mm. because i just wanted to be the oddball but when i started paying attention and understanding how i have to treat them and be thankful that day they they did something that i didn't do they uprooted from a a one country and came to another and just started from scratch you know just to make sure that we were okay so i had to look at that and be very like super appreciative you know what i mean instead of doing all the foolishness so that's how music really shaped my life and and from that you know dealing with my son dealing with my wife dealing with you know friends around me you know it's 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 totally different now like if i had the same mindset i had at 13 to 13 to 19 nah i don't know uh, the, it it, it would have been totally different but i'm just glad that music was there and it saved my life and yeah it totally saved my life
0: was there a you know you comedians have like comedian comedian or like it might be like a local comedian that mm-hmm. uh you don't know you know no one knows about but you know but everyone knows about him if mm-hmm. you're a comedian mm-hmm. um for you uh growing up was there uh like an MC, MC that you know might be local and never really blew up, but kind of you looked up to. um, and you talked about your brother. Anyone else?
1: I'm gonna talk about an MC who did blow up, but I don't think he got all the recognition that he did. His name is um, Educated Rapper from UTFO. I lived on 56th Street between Church and Snyder. He lived on 55th Street between Church and Linden. And growing up, they were in a group before the U.T.F.O. and they were called the Jamalot Crew, and they played at all of the block parties in Brooklyn. So I used to see this guy, educated rapper, and he's rhyming, and I was like, you know, he's using these huge words that you know <laughs> I'm getting as uh, uh, <laughs> I'm getting in school as as spelling words, right, right. what I'm saying, but he's using them like it's nothing. And one day he um, he played for my brother's 16th birthday party in the backyard. And, you know, the Jamalot crew was there at the time. Ice was part of the Jamalot crew and, you know, along with um, educated rapper, but not Kango kid and everybody else. So. He got on the mic and just started rhyming. I'm like, yo, this is the dude that's going around in the neighborhood, you know, doing this thing. And at that time, I wrote a happy birthday rhyme for my brother. And I was like, yo, I want to do this happy birthday rhyme for my brother. My brother was just like, nah, nah. He said, let him go. I got on the mic and I did this happy birthday rhyme and destroyed this backyard party. And he told me at the time, educated rapper, he was like, you know, keep it up. You're gonna be good at this one day. I said, okay. And then years later I'm holding his album. All right. You know, UTFO, and I'm like, yo, that's the guy, blah, blah, blah. You no, know, that's crazy. Um, but I would have to say educated rapper, he was the dude in the neighborhood that really made me uh want to do it. Because he lived directly around the corner, right. and I was actually friends with his brother, but didn't know that my boy's brother was educated rapper. You know what I mean? So,
0: I want to I want to turn to your music, mm-hmm. um, and I mean particularly the single uh, Lashmoo, but La Move, but not because of you know, basically not because of represent what it represented, yeah. how I mean impactful it was mm-hmm. as a kid growing up. But when you look at the production credit, mm-hmm. you what really stands out, and it's he's been on the show is the Bob Power. Uh, studio. Um, if you could, you're, you're you're recording at a time where people are forced to go into a studio to record. They're, you know, not digital yet, so you actually have sessions where you're taping, you mm-hmm. know, stuff on the board and making sure no one fucks with it at the, at the end of the day. Right. Um, if you could kind of take us into those recording sessions and be like, I mean, what was that like for people that now are you know recording in a closet and sending an MP3 to someone else and stuff like that?
1: Wow. I could say wow first. Um, Bob Powers is not from this planet. Um, Bob Powers was not just an engineer. He was also a producer. Because he would hear certain things and tell you to try it. And I'm not the easiest person to actually engineer for or record at that time. It's different now with, you know, everything is, is digital. And, and But back then, you're punching in right. or you're splicing tape. But Bob is sitting there saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. He listened to me and he says, all right, I'm going to record you twice. I'm like, what do you mean you're going to record me twice? He said, I'm going to record you twice. I'm trying to understand what this man is saying, but he was actually talking about two tracks. He says, give me your best and see if you can beat your best. And I give him my best and then I'm saying, see if I can beat my best. But while while I'm doing all of this, he's actually recording me in places where he thought wasn't audible for people. Mm. Now, that's smart. That's back yeah. then. He's just like, okay, and he's erasing and cutting and he said, come in and hear your verse. And I'd listen and I'm like, "Oh no, that's very... But he's he's putting everything together because he knows the verse because I said it so many times, but he's just like, all right, I just wanted to make sure certain things were audible. Mm. Now, to to actually have to go into a room and see nothing but reels, it's crazy because first and foremost, you have um, let's say Jive Records. Everybody's 4-inch reel, I mean reels, were actually downstairs at Battery because you had to use Battery if you assigned to Jive. So you're stepping inside there, you're seeing KRS, you're seeing Tribe Quest. you're seeing all these things and you're standing there going, my God. This is a, a lot of people recording here. Then you start to see Billy Ocean. You know, just people yeah. that you wouldn't even... You know, you see in Billy Ocean, then you see your UTFO too. You know, and you're standing there saying, "This is not easy," because <clears throat> Bob would get there before us and put the tape up, and he would constantly be rewinding and playing, rewinding and playing, rewinding and playing. I'm like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm warming up the machine." Now, I'm not thinking about that. Hey. He's warming up the machine. He's like, "Remember, I, if the if the machine sits, it sits." So I'm warming up the machine. As soon as I come in there, he's he's ready. But he's a different, he's not from here, man. He's not from here. Chip, are you ready? I'm ready for you. Everything was, and he's like, why don't we add an echo here? What what else different do you hear? But I'm not hearing anything. I'm just hearing straight lyrics. And he's like, no. Air candy, you got to think about peaks and valleys. He taught us all of this. Peaks and valleys. Where's the thing that you want people to hear you say? What are people going to say with you? You know these are things that engineers don't normally do right so i'm like well is he engineering what the fuck you know like, <laughs> like you know what i'm saying but but then i had it had to come to a point where i'm just like that's the only person i wanted to record with bob powers and, and within that time no one really wanted to record without bob because of his input you know what yeah. i mean so and and those times it was it was crazy because sometimes you'd get an uh, an engineer whose cuts weren't too precise You know what I mean? And you can hear it on the tape because sometimes when people would connect, they connect with a regular tape and then you'd hear it and be like, nah, dude, I heard that in the in from, you know, within the track. It it was crazy. Um, But you had to have that right person, that right engineer that that loved his art, loved the art form and wanted you to do good. Because there were some people that used to come in that just wanted to check. And you can tell when you when you listen to uh, a Bob Powers session and their session or Bob Powers mix and their mix. Bob would mix before you come there. Like he'll say, all right, um, I'm going to start mixing your record at three o'clock. I need you there at five. (laughs) Right. So I'm like, well, why do you want me to come in at five? He's EQing everything. Kick snare your voice so when you walk in all he's doing is pressing and play and you're listening saying this is incredible he's like no i want you to look for what's wrong he's like this is i just he cued everything for you to hear now what do you hear that's wrong in it and i'm like well you can bring my vocals down you know Even, you know my uh my doubles is too loud my you know uh doubles is too loud you can bring down the snare blah 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 and he's like all right we'll leave the room the track would be mixed. It's only vocals that he'd be dealing with when we get there, and the track would sound huge. And we're like, "Dang, I, I want to do my verse." Yes. So now you're actually hearing, how, you know, what he could actually do to the track. So big up to Bob, man. That's 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 the alien. Him and um, Skeff, Anselm, and crazy engineers, man. All this, Dawit Kennedy too, and there's a bunch of them. But he was that dude yeah did the writing
0: i, I hear that does that mean does did the writing process change for you i mean like pre you know i i like pre bob powers versus when you're going like, were you writing within in studio? At i the never wrote in the
1: studio i so, never wrote in the studio because you know <laughs> upbringing you know on this i think i went the first time when i wrote in the studio my father asked me um, when you went to write in the studio, were they charging you? And I said, yes. And he was like, how much were they charging you per hour? I said, $75 per hour. And he said, um, did you finish the song? I said, no. He said, that's a waste of money. Mm. So I never wrote in the studio again. And I would write at home. And uh, Bob Powers told me to buy a handheld recorder and practice my verses before I came in. So my sessions would be short. So yeah. by the time I got there and I'm kicking my verse, I, I knew it by heart, front to back. And he'd say, all right, well, give me two, you know, go inside there and kick your verse. I need your best and I need not do it and I'll be done. Yeah.
0: Uh, obviously, uh, Last Move was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of us could probably recite it today, mm-hmm. uh, which is good. Uh, and of course, it had the late, great uh, Fife on it. Mm-hmm. Um how did the, how did Fife get on it? And what kind of was your,
1: I mean, what, what did you take
0: away from working with Fife?
1: Um, the Fife story goes back before music. Fife, you, Fife and pac Fu. Fife's mother and pac Fu's mother grew up in Trinidad, you know, and she, Fife used to come on the block and he would play football. Now, Remember. I was playing yeah. football, right? <laughs> so I'd be on Lennox's steps telling the jokes, which is for I'd be telling the jokes of pac four on the steps, but Fife was also sickly when he was young, too. So um, he would go and play football, and <clears throat> he'd get hurt up a little bit. But then he'd go and sit on the porch, so it would be Lennox and his entire family with Fife in the house across the street from me. And um, that's where I knew Malik from and also from um, from uh, a cousin of mine, Jewel Hudson. They went to the um, the same church, Seventh-day Adventist church or whatever. So they, I, I knew him from there, too. So it was before music. So then they actually get signed to Jive, and then Lennox sees his childhood friend like, Yo, Malik, what's happening? He's <laughs> like, so you're here? He's like, yeah, we got signed. So automatically, he was like, yo, we got to do a record. <laughs> You no, know, we got to do a record. Uh, we didn't know what we would, do, what what type of record we were going to do. Fife and I got closer because of the whole uh, parents being from Trinidad, and you know, everybody used to say y'all look alike, and I'm like I don't look like Fife. <laughs> um, and the closeness grew from there. Um, very competitive person, very competitive. You know what I mean? That was his thing. Like I'm gonna kick... and he. He's one dude that I think that a lot of people stepped on when it came to freestyling. All right. An incredible freestyler. Like you put him in a room and he'll be there for hours. hours, words nonstop. And half of the stuff he wrote was off the top. Half of it. Like he'll come in with a verse that's half done and just say the rest. That's how we did the song with Whitey uh, Don called Article when we recorded it in Long Island. He had half a verse. I had my full verse. I did my verse and he was just sitting in the corner playing around and then he just started saying his verse and then just caught and caught that pocket and kept going. And I looked at him. mouth like, dang, I need to learn how to do that. And <laughs> he was like, well, dude, just, you know, stop playing around with words or whatever. But it was um, to finally do the record and get in there. I remember Fife walking in there and he was kicking his verse to Ali. Mm -hmm. Jive Records said, you know, you guys Been um, taking too long to finish your album So Ali was like, I'm going to finish the rest of the album I love their sound So we had Three days To finish uh, The album We did Lash Move, Truth We did everything that was produced by Ali Shahid In three days So that's that's Heavenly Father Lash Move, Truth Fush All that stuff we did in three days three days, everything that he produced. So we were just sitting there just bringing in certain people. All right. All right. Then Fife walks in and was like, yo, y'all ready? And he kicks his verse to Ali. And he was like, well, well, I'm just going to go in there and do my verse. He did his verse. We just started yelling. I was like, you know, I'm going to do my verse. I did my verse. And we just was laughing because we were just like, wait till when people hear this, you know, because, you know, if you really think about it, Tribe didn't really collab with much people right. at the time, so to, so for a member of Tribe to be like, yeah, I'm gonna rock with these guys right here. Everybody just they everybody gave us that second listen, like, you know what is it about them, whatever, you know what I mean? But it was it was incredible when it was done. It was incredible when we did the video, um, and I think for me, you know when tribe broke up for the first time and fife was touring by himself i was touring with him so every night we we're doing a <laughs> lash move just him and i you know what i'm saying so there's nights when we sit there and laugh and be like you remember when we recorded that song and i was like yeah i remember you walked in a in the room and you had on um this you know, this this um this baseball cap, what kinda what color baseball cap was that? He was like, It was a blue and red baseball cap it was the Chiefs. He remembered what he was wearing. The Chiefs, you know, da 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 and I had on these sneakers and blah blah blah. And I'm like, Okay. But I think because of that record, that record created the bond because, um, touring together like that, you know, it, it was easy to segue into his his set. Right. Because I would end with Lash Move and then he'd come out from the back and do his verse and then he went into his set. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> that was this that was powerful for then and powerful before you know his, his demise like the last time we performed together was um in canada and he was tired i think he done a, a bunch of shows and he needed water and he could not perform but the last thing we did was Lash move to come into his set but that was the last time we ever performed that song together and I was like wow you know what I mean because when I look back at it now that really was the last time we actually did the song together oh, wow. you know what I mean we haven't you know after that that was it we you know when we had plans to, to do other things you know what I mean but that was the last time we did that song so you know it. it and hearing the song now I was like who, who would think that from that day it, it you know we became men and we're touring together right. you know what I'm saying sharing sneaker ideas and how to clean sneakers with, with toothpaste and, 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 and rubbing alcohol and all sorts of stuff that people wouldn't even think about, you know what I'm saying? And, um, to form this bond of friendship over a song and, and just competition, you know, and understanding that, you know, we grew up together and right. you know, it's not like we didn't know each other. Like we, we, we knew each other and i i knew his family you know what i mean i knew his mom's was my boy lennox's good friend and they would come over and we'd be there together but then to get signed and do something like that and be grown mentoring that was that was a big thing
0: man that was big was there a lyric in that song that kind of you maybe i fight that like the first time you heard it you just got floored I go, oh shit, that's
1: amazing. Fife Dog was never, uh, uh here we go once again with the L flow. The ram- MC that rap, the style is so, so. Just the in every intro that Fife did to me was the stamp for him. Mm. I think that he got to a point where he wanted people to hear him. So every rhyme, if you could recite from Fife, the intro was always a heavy intro. There's some MCs that you can listen to and be like, mm, but there's that one line yeah. you're always saying, and then you really don't remember the rest of the rhyme. Right. But Fife's intro in the heart of his verses, always crazy.
0: Uh, that's crazy. Um, I want to turn to, I mean, another a song, obviously that was huge as well, was What's Up Doc? Featuring Shaq. As a 14-year-old kid, <laughs> hearing that, Uh and seeing that Caribbean hip hop vibe coming, in. Shaq is rhyming. Okay, uh, you know, he's a fourteen-year-old a basketball player is rhyming. Mm-hmm. I always want. How did that happen? Uh, <clears throat> and did you know, or did you? Ex- and this is not to be, not, but shade on Shaq. But did you expect much from
1: him coming out the gates? Well, see, that's a, another thing too. It's, it goes back to how I was raised. You you, you hear a person's heart. I don't never care what comes out of a person's mouth, Mm. right? I hear the heart first. What comes out of the person's mouth is what they're thinking and what they're feeling. You know what I mean? So when he said to me that he had his rhyme, I didn't ask him if it was good. I didn't ask him if it was bad. But you got to understand, hearing his heart say that he had his rhyme and that he wanted to record his verse, you knew he was going to give it his best shot, right? Because at that particular point in time everybody is talking about him so you're not going to give you a worse because that, that that could have done so much to him in the media like alright Orlando Magic you know it's science and blah blah but he's garbage at you get what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I guess you know just hearing him and him saying you know let me kick my verse and then when he went in there um, I sat there with him and just a few lines I just coached him on presence I said don't say that like that just say it like this and he listened and then when he Heard it back. That was the first time he heard himself. And he's like, yeah, and I was like, you know, that's actually good. That's not bad. You know? yeah. I've heard worse. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's actually good, Shaq. That's dope. But a lot of people don't know he was he's, he's a DJ at heart. Right. DJ. So back then he was DJing. We'd go to his house and he'd be mixing and blending records like it's nothing. So to see him doing these Shaq Diesel concerts and all this stuff and he's playing records and mixing... That's something I knew for a long time ago that he was able to do, you know, without any hiccups. You know what I mean? But seeing he took the time. He put in, he put enough time into that and, and, and um, enough pen work because he'd call me on the plane flying to a different game, right? So I get a call at 2 a.m. in the morning. And I'm like, where are you? He's like, are we flying to the other game that we got to play, Orlando versus whomever? And he's like, you know, I got to kick this for you. that's how I knew he was focused and he's kicking the rhyme and you're hearing all his other teammates like yo come on man you know he's just like nah nah I'm on the phone just leave me alone but he's he's really focused on you know what he's doing so I think that um, I was blessed to be able to introduce I want to say the world to like the first real MC slash basketball player Mm -hmm. you know what I mean that actually took it to heart that there's no as an MC that rhyme, no, as a basketball player that rhyme with so many other MCs, and that's that's been so respected. You know what I mean? It's the only basketball player that rhyme with Biggie, right? And that's the only basketball player that Biggie wrote for,
0: right? You've had other try to rhyme,
1: yeah, right. yeah. Well, this, this <laughs> failed, failed, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> and we can say that, dude. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.